You're listening to Sports Radio Detroit. The Smashing Pumpkins were one of the most celebrated alternative bands of the 90s. But are they still the ones we adore, or has their time in the sun reached zero? We'll talk it out tonight, tonight on Over Under Fair. Hey everybody, everybody, everybody! Welcome back. Uh, how you, how you doing, everybody out there in podcast land? It's your erstwhile host, as ever, Dave Roldan, here on Over Under Fair, the final word in pop culture relevance. Uh, joined as ever by Roger. Roger, how you doing? Salutations, Roger. Good to see you. Good to hear you. It's been too long. It has been too long. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, returning returning co-host, Lacey McGraw. Lacey, how you been? I am so good. Yay. Yay. Happy to be back. I'm so happy to be back, yes. Awesome. Glad to have you. And uh, first time appearance, friend of the show, Jeremy. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you killed it, Jeremy. Uh, this is Jeremy's first appearance on our show. Uh, who's to say it'll be the last? We don't know. We like to bring everybody in here to when it's appropriate to talk about the things that we want to talk about them, want to talk to them with. And uh, today's topic is one that I think has a, a place in all of our lives at some point, and they're relevant because they are currently announcing a brand new tour with old-ass members. <laughs> uh, the Smashing Pumpkins have reformed again, the OG Smashing Pumpkins, with a notable exception, but we'll talk about that as it goes on. And uh, yeah, we got to talking about the Smashing Pumpkins and their old output and their new output and kind of wondered... If there was some meat on those bones. So we are going to discuss at length the career and discography of 90s alt icons, the Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, You guys have done this before, so we know kind of what we're in for. Like, we're going to go through talk album by album, kind of about how we felt about them then, and then talk about how we feel about them now. So it's not like super biographical, but that stuff will come up because it's important to some of the, you know, the bigger points of the band's history and future. And, uh... You know, yeah, we'll just kind of discuss the state of what they're doing heading forward and kind of how we feel about them in comparison to now versus then. So, or the other way around. Whatever works. Um, so, if we start off, we'll just go around the table. Lacey, what kind of relationship do you have with this band prior to us talking about it? Um, I mean, you know, I was young around the time that they kind of, like, reached the height of their fame. No, we, uh, all, we all were. But... I, of course, they had some presence in my life, and I always kind of, you know, I was a, I was a fan of rock and alternative rock, so I always kind of listened to them a little bit. But I was never like, I maybe had like two of their CDs, you know, because mm. back in the day when you had to have the CDs, <laughs> yeah, physical, listen, physical copies, physical of CDs. I maybe had like two of them. I think I had, um, I had Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, and I had um, Gish, and. Uh, those were the two that I had, and then I never really, like, delved deeper, so I was always kind of, like, a casual fan. I enjoyed them, but I was never, like, oh, yeah, Smashing Pumpkins. For yeah. sure. Are you then more on, like, the... So, for the purposes of the show title, are, do you think, coming into this, before we talk about it, where do you put them on the scale of overrated or underrated? A gentle overrated. A gentle overrated. Fair enough. Jeremy? Uh, personally, I have, like, a real good relationship with a couple records. Um, as a musician, I really feel like they kind of formed a lot of my early, I guess, influences on how I saw music. And, I mean, they were so heavily on the radio that it just, they, they were a force at the time. But 
I mean, in later in the career, I wasn't really paying attention to be honest. Yeah, a lot yeah. of a lot of people dropped off. Like, I mean, there's there's always the songs, like a few songs here and there, but overall, like I think it's they're, they're fairly rated to me. Okay, Roger, I have a, I think I like to think that I have a pretty good relationship with this band, especially um, growing up. You're right. It was it, constantly on radio. You would go to your local blockbuster music, which I was. That's where the first time I ever picked up. Does everybody have a local blockbuster music? <laughs> well, I, I, we had I've one never, that was kind of around, but yeah, not was, for long. Yeah, it wasn't too long. But I remember that's where I picked up. Sign more of a Sam Goody guy, but yeah, and I and I also yeah would raid the Columbia House and get the ten CDs for one. Nice, yeah, yeah and that's oh, yeah. you know, and I changed my name and get another set. <laughs> so I, lo- I love every time you talk about this. Yeah. It makes me want to get up and hug you when you're like, "Oh yeah, Bob Jones, man, he owes them a lot of money." Yeah. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere, Roger Dillon is uh, getting chased down. But uh, no, it's uh, but like Jeremy just spoke of too. It was like towards the tail end of high school where I just checked out because when you know we'll get to it too, but. I would say it's in terms of where I see the band myself, it's fairly rated. But they did have a pro- profound influence on what kind of music I got into, and they always surprised me a little bit in the way that they presented themselves. But you know, I remember every single person had a zero shirt, and that kind of—I did too. I was yeah, one of those people, yeah, the long sleeve one, and you know, you see some ironic goth kid with the holes in it, so sticking out like like that kind of thing. So. <laughs> Yeah, I say it fairly. Great right. visual for an audio format, but thank yeah. you. Hands <laughs> um, out like Jesus. There yeah. Uh, I This was one of my absolute favorite bands uh, through middle school and into high school. And even for the first couple of years after, I loved the Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, was very much of the time where I liked the majority of what I heard, like radio-wise and stuff. Because I was, very, you know, it was kind of a thing. Like alt, alt-rock and grunge and all that stuff. We've... We've done that to death on this show, so you all know how I feel about that period of music, which is why we're talking about another 90s band. But this one was very near and dear to me uh, for a number of reasons. I was a huge fan of, like, sonically what this band sounded like. It was it was heavy without being too heavy, and it was, like, spacey without being too psychedelic. It was soft without being, like, putting me to sleep. So there was... There, it felt like a, a lot of things worked in their in their favor for me as a listener. Like they just had the right balance of all sorts of stuff, and I really, really enjoyed so much of that that output. You know, the initial run of the band. Um, I'd say coming into this, I guess I would say fairly rated was my opinion to start. Uh, it changed over time to get to overrated, but we're going to kind of talk about how I may have scaled back on that. But we'll start at the beginning, as we always do, as most things start. That's why it's the beginning. With uh, their major label debut in 1991 with Gish, uh, it is definitely it's a it's hard to appreciate what they were up against without thinking about 1991 as a year of things that were happening around it. Like the Chili Peppers broke really big that year with Blood Sugar Sex Magic. We talked about that on a different episode. Listen to the archive. And uh, you know, bands like Pearl Jam were now out and about. They had that Nirvana breaks with Nevermind. Like 1991 was such a huge year. And the Smashing Pumpkins put out an album that is big in its own way for them, but not nearly on the level that some of these other things were kicking around 1991. And I think to think back to that, it's impressive that they managed to form a sound that was pretty unique to them in the sea of all of this other stuff that was kind of samey, you know, even though it was distinguishable. But I don't know. I think like uh, I think it's a really good debut. You know, Roger, I know that you have a particular fondness for this album, too. We talked about it. 
Yeah, and the thing is, is and until I started doing my research too about this album, it was Butch Figs. He produced yep. this album, and I didn't know that until also produced Nevermind. Yeah, so ninety ninety one was a big year for Butch Vig. Yeah, he made a, he he definitely moved on up from his whatever he was. But in terms of songs that outside of Rhinoceros that might people might be more familiar with, "Bury Me" is a really good track. Just mm. gets everything go, like that beginning. Um, the arrangements on here in terms of how he. The the thing about this, we just said, Dave, and I bring up the point, or you brought up the point that's really good is that this is kind of establishing their quote unquote signature sound here. Mm. And, yeah, totally. And this was an album, even like uh, there was a song on here that Darcy sings. I can't remember the name of the top of it. Um, You're I'll talking about like the ending track, yeah, before the hidden track. Um, that's daydream, window. yeah, daydream. You know that one, that was kind of cool to hear again for the first time in a while, but. Yeah, Rhinoceros is... It kind of gave you the impression that other people were responsible for things that happened in this band. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. we will find out is not true. And but... uh, Suffer 2 is a really good song, too, as well. And that was something that I wanted to point out, too. That those songs outside what was radio. And so, for me, this album, in terms of that 91 sound, kind of like everybody was like... Anybody who, like, maybe a casual listener go, oh, they're from Seattle. But no, if you really... It's a more heavier. Yeah, I think I there. think they did enough to disassociate like disassociate themselves from that sound. Yeah, like yeah, you know, because they're they're from Chicago. It's like a, a thing that people should that they you probably know, but if you don't, they're a Midwest band, the Chicago band. They formed there, so they just happened to come up at the same time that the Seattle sound and all this yeah. other stuff was just percolating all at once. So it was easy to kind of throw them into that. But I do, like I said, I think they did enough to kind of separate themselves from what the rest of that was. I yeah, the whole ha- Midwest sound. Yeah. I have a particular fondness for this record, too. I think this is, like, my favorite album from them, honestly. Really? Out of all of them? Wow. Yeah. yeah that's cool, man. I, I feel like this is the best one to listen to, like, from, from start to finish for me, because I like records that that kind of, like, they bring you up, but then if they're going to go down, they got to come back up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I have to have, like, a healthy balance of that. Like, okay, cool. If you want to drone on for a couple tracks, like, with some, some ballady type songs, like, that's fine. But, like, hit me with a rocker right after it. No, you know that, what I that's mean? fair, because that's something they become guilty of later on. And yeah. it's, and it's harder for them to rebound from that. That's kind of what, like, repelled me from the Smashing Pumpkins, because, mm-hmm. like, as much as I do appreciate, like, that slow, melodic, like, pretty type music, you know, that's that wasn't what I was ever looking for from them. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of like a lot of the things that you cited as reasons that you like them were kind of reasons that I couldn't like really delve so deeply into them. Cause at the time when I started kind of listening to, to the Smashing Pumpkins more, you know, it was around the mid nineties. I was just starting to come into my own as like a music listener cause I was a kid and I kind of, you know, I was late to the Nirvana party, of course, because I was a child um (laughs) you know when when kurt cobain died um and once i had finally collected their discography and then i started exploring more from that kind of like rise that time period the whole seattle sound thing and i felt like the smashing pumpkins were like an ideal you know you you can associate the two obviously yeah um and it just it wasn't doing it for me i mean that's not to say of course that i wasn't you know, loving it. No, but. no, but we've established before. You have a bit, a bit uh, harder taste than right. some somebody in, as like a similar age as you. Like we 
came up liking a lot of the same stuff, but your taste diverged further into like metal and stuff. Yeah. And mine went the opposite way into sad boy music. <laughs> <Yeah>. So that's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, this, but I love this record. Like, I, I still, when I, re- I revisited it um, from start to finish just last week, and I was like, damn, I forgot. I forgot. Yeah. Like, yeah. there was same actually way. a lot, a lot of stuff that I heard from the Smashing Pumpkins. I forgot how much I like this song. But this record in particular, I think, is probably my favorite from them. Hit me with something, Jeremy. It, it had this uh, like rawness to it that I th- I think that they captured better on that record than they did on most of the records, um, and they were kind of like more hinting at like the whole shoegaze vibe. Whereas, yeah, it, it became yeah. more predominant as they moved, you know, as the years went by. And it's it's a record that I think it, it's good to kind of establish who they were and to get everybody into them. I thought it was a really good debut release. And not to mention, it's one of those albums too where you, you feel the presence of Jimmy Chamberlain, especially in that. Oh yeah. Oh right away. And, and yeah. In the rhinoceros, that part right there where it kind of like that, like that, right there the chorus make right kicks right into the guitar. That's what I liked about this band the most is that I don't. He might get some dues. I don't know. He gets think, dues. He oh, he, yeah. does, he okay. is a he is an integral part of their sound and yeah. it is it is acknowledged. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. He's he like is the only member they need other than. Yeah. I, yeah. And all right. What. You know, while we're talking about it, since we're going to be moving on to Siamese Dream after this, so the whole gimmick of Smashing Pumpkins is really that it's Billy Corgan, right? Like, he writes all of the music, and for the first few albums, he plays all of the instruments, minus drums. Like, Jimmy Chamberlain is the drummer, and Billy Corgan is the bass player, guitar player, vocalist, arranger. Like, it's this is an unpopular opinion, and I've shared it with people before, but... It is no slight to people that I have respect for in the other members of this band, James Eha and Darcy Resky, who Incredible. are members of this band. Right. They are important. But for from a completely recorded, like, facing standpoint, Billy Corgan is the Smashing Pumpkins, and that's it. Like, yeah. Billy Corgan has had other drummers for touring and for recording. <clears throat> Jimmy Chamberlain is the best of them, and I want him to stay on all these things because he is the best part of their drumming core that's ever been around. But... Billy Corgan's and Smashing Pumpkins. There's no Smashing Pumpkins without Billy Corgan. You can rotate the other players around. Yeah, for sure. Right. I'm not saying that to disrespect the people that put in time and did work because I think they are important. But, you know, moving into Siamese Dream in 1993, it's Billy Corgan's, like, magnum opus right away. Like, it's the second album, and he does all the work. And again, as a band dynamic is concerned, it's shitty because, he, yeah. you know, he took it upon himself to try to, you know, put his music out in the way that he had envisioned it, but you also have members of your band. Like, you're supposed to delegate the work where it's necessary. So I'm very conflicted about Siamese Dream. It's my favorite album, like, as an album of theirs, because I think it's note perfect. But it's difficult for me to then disassociate that with the notion that Billy Corgan was a right prick the entire time they recorded it. So I don't know. Uh, before We're not going to belabor that point right now because it will continue to come up but Mm -hmm. you know talking about Siamese Dream specifically I think it is perfect I think the opener gets you ready right away in Chair of Rock for what what we're about to experience it is driving it is perfect and everything that happens after that this is less of the build up and break down and come back up again because by the end of the album it does kind of go down but but it's but it's a beautiful ride like that's that's what I love so much about it is that it it takes its time to create such a perfect scene of sadness <laughs> and have you wallow in it just long enough to where you feel like you're going to break and then like silver fuck comes on you're like oh guitar again and then everything's awesome so i just think this i can't speak highly enough of how great i think this record is 
But if anyone else wants to say anything about it, please feel free. Um, I mean, I think that they really established, like, the whole noise vibe oh, yeah. in this record. Like, there was so much that, like, isn't technically, like, I guess... Oh, well, things that people weren't doing at the time. They were really <clears throat> separating themselves from the entire scene with, you know, little lines with feedback where it becomes more oh, yeah. of an instrument where you're just like, whoa, what was that? That's cool. And that's like, not something that we were really hearing a lot yeah, of. exactly. Like, like, bands like My Bloody Valentine were around in, like, or the 91 or whatever, but that was a British band or an Irish band or whatever, and they weren't big. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is a sound that existed, but to new listeners of a time where it was not a thing, like... They were kind of pioneers in that front, as far as we knew, you know. Yeah, you could hear more of, like, the whole kind of, like, early emo vibe, like, mm, coming yeah. into it. And it was it was cool. It was a different sonicscape than I had ever heard. And it was a huge inspiration on me and still is. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. Honestly, this album is perfection. It really is. And, and you, you were telling it earlier about the towards the tail end of it. But think about, if you read later on the magnitude of what was going on at that time with this album, you look at... James Ida and Darcy broke up, and she's she's changing directions. And this is a time where Billy Corgan also said if he doesn't get this right, he's done. He's, he has said that Simon's dream was just kind of like well, right. It was a it was a a watershed moment for them as a band because yeah. they were they were you know having a lot of internal problems. Their drummer Jimmy Chamberlain has a noted drug problem at this point, like it's blown out of control. And the other creative forces in the band, the you know Ihan Gretzky, were a couple, and now they aren't. So like. They're bringing in a lot of baggage to the recording process of this, and I think that's probably another reason Corgan felt he had to take it upon himself to complete all of this stuff, but it's still, it shows, like, the the process that went into this was so damning and so, you know, difficult for everybody that it comes through on the album as, like, you know, it's hurt. Like, the whole thing has a very, you know, a very piercing, like, emotional subtext to every single song, and that's that's to its benefit, definitely. Yeah, yeah it, when I heard this arm originally, I didn't like it at first because it was a departure of what I was tuned in at the time. But I was like twelve, thirteen years old, and then I was like, I just want to rock, you know. I didn't want that slow stuff, I, you know. I didn't really care for it then, but I got older and I heard it more, and I, I understood where he was coming from with that song in terms of slowing it down a little bit. But Cherub Rock has one of the best intros of any song of all time. Oh, absolutely! Oh, yeah. It is yeah. one of the. I used to use it for some production stuff. That song gets you pumped up. It's like arena rock at that, you know, like, it's fine. It's yeah, an it's arena perfect. rock song. And surprise, not use more, but Rocket, too. Some of the bass, the way that he, like, he says love and that, that bass right there in the middle, kind of like that almost funk to it a little bit. Yeah, it's, I mean, Billy yeah. Corgan, is a, he's a musical guy. He's yeah. a student of music, like, yeah. prior to this band. He, he liked bands like Kiss and Cheap Trick. Like, he <clears throat> he has an appreciation for what <clears throat> what's going to evoke that kind of feeling in you to be like yeah like when you hear something yeah. so he doesn't go to that well every single song but when they do it right it's super right <laughs> oh yeah it's like hearing this record to me is like i can't really argue the fact that he plays everything that like that he's like a jerk about it because i'm like man that kind of like makes this certain part like the fact that he is so like in sync with himself like mm-hmm. it just it locks in that feel where it takes you to a place it's cool yeah that is the argument that you know Corgan defenders would make for you know his stance on that kind of stuff is that who is going to know what he wants more than the guy himself and you know I think in this case specifically with Siamese Dream it's the right call like because it is it's universally acclaimed like it's one of their best albums it's beautiful yeah you you're still making faces I I still want to rock Roger I still want to rock 
No, it's it's, it's there's rockers yeah. on here. I mean, I know. Actually, great. like I I actually love Disarm, and that's not a rocker. No, that is the that saddest is a, of sad that's a, songs. That's a slug and a half, but, but it's beautiful. I know it is. <laughs> like, it is beautiful. I do like Cherubrack too. It's probably one of my favorite Smashing Pumpkin songs. But I don't know. It's just yeah. This is one of those things where I'm like. Okay, yeah, I can listen to this record. I know it's good. I know it's great, but it's just not my jam. Like, it's just... uh, (laughs) Yeah. You know, I also should mention, before we get too deeply into this, that I am not particularly a fan of Billy Corrigan's voice. All right, yeah, it's actually... It's as good a time to bring it up as any. I don't hate it. Like, I don't... It's not, like, nails on a chalkboard, but, like... When he, you know, gets that wine, it's not. It, I just it's a little much sometimes for it's sure. Like that, where you're just like, and I'm yeah. like, Fuck it doesn't. It didn't bother me then. Like it's, you know, because then it was like something I almost wished I could yeah, emulate. I'm like, like, yeah, different. I'm sad. Yeah. <laughs> like I wanted to do. I wanted to be. I wanted to be that. But in looking back on it, I, <clears throat> I am a fan of unique or occasionally confrontational voiced singers. Yeah. It's something I kind of enjoy, but. There are there are times, if I'm being fair, that it's a bit too. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. You know, that's all I can say. Like yeah. you guys know what I'm talking about. No, like, we do. Anybody we do. who's listening to Smashing Pumpkins knows what we're talking about. It's like it's almost like a yodel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, Sometimes you're like, man, that's cool. And other like times you're like, what just happened? Yodel ever? <laughs> like you know, it's not like an Alanis Morissette yodel. It's more like well, there's edge in that. Yodel. It sounds like a donkey it, being punched. <laughs> Everybody just shuts down. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, it leaves I like me with it. more questions. Really, like, how do you know what a donkey <laughs> being punched sounds like? Long how story. many how many donkeys have you punched? <laughs> but no, you're you're right though. It is it's distinct though. So you you know you get points for that. It is, but, yeah. But yeah, it's definitely not a for everyone kind of thing. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. And like I said, it's, it's not right. Like yeah, on the, it's not like nails on the chalkboard to me. But it's one of those things where I'm like, uh, yeah. you know, like yeah. some of those some of those little those little sad yodels, those sodals yodels, yodels. Yeah, it's weird because I can talk myself into liking him, but like I hate Morrissey, who's like the same, who has a super distinct voice that also does like whiny ass things and. Him just like oh fuck Morrissey, but then yeah, no, Billy uh, Corgan, I'm like oh no, it's fine. But it's different. Like, yeah, you're not canceling shows because there's meat that was, meat was served there in the last week. Billy right. Corgan's not like, anything like that. Like I'm a little tired. Yeah, don't I think fucking wind me and gave up on Morrissey. As, yes, okay? as much as you, as much as this could devolve into us slashing Morrissey everywhere, like <laughs> I, we're not going to do that today. Yeah, no, we just need to we just need to get past. But really, fuck Morrissey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we we have that. Yeah. Our, uh, but our, I do, I do want to say one last thing. Our fuck more portion of the podcast is completed. <laughs> um, Obligatory, yeah, <laughs> makes its way in everyone. And I wanted to ask you guys just a question about this album. Do you think that with songs like Hummer and Soma coming up here that are close to seven minutes, this is a prelude to what the kind of style you would go going forward? Because I feel like those. Yeah, well, he always. I mean, yeah. you want to have epics. Like that's that's a thing that he definitely wanted to have. Like that, I feel like he's that just, kind of feeling. I feel like he establishes it here more than Gish. Would you say that's fair? Well, no, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think I think when I what happened when I went back and listened to their discography in order is that you can see the slow build. Like it, it on Gish, it's kind of like, oh, this is maybe something I've never heard in a rock song before, but it's very very faint and it's very uh, sparing. Yeah, it's like tasteful. Um, yeah, it's yeah. like very sparing, and then on this record. A little bit more, a little bit more, creeping in a little bit more until you, of course, and obviously we're referring to like melancholy yeah. and infinite sadness. And then, of course, it's, you know, it just, yeah. it just reaches, like, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a like, crescendo a yeah. little bit, you know, like it, it just builds, it kind of creeps in a little by little. And, I think the coolest thing about this band then and and now 
um, but definitely then when it was when it was all fresh. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm having some throat stuff today. Uh, is that you definitely hear a progression through sound that is like yeah. that is really impressive given that the band was producing like publicly producing this music for nine years. Like they the initial run is ninety one to two thousand. Mm-hmm. That's it. And they have five albums, six albums in that time, and they all sound different. Like yeah. in a way that is like, oh, that's still the Smashing Pumpkins, but it's like a you know, it's like a evolution yeah, one step forward. Yeah, like it's really shows. a band that moved forward in such a small time and like that's really impressive. Like oh, yeah. you know, just on its face. I almost have to wonder, and Dave, maybe you'll be able to tell me a little bit more about this. And do you feel like this was anything where they were maybe like fighting with like a record company as to what they could and could not include at this point as far as like you know <clears> the, <throat> the strings and the arrangements at this stuff. point i don't think so um they're fighting with themselves yeah. and that's that's mostly the fight they were having this would come later after their peak but like melancholy was a bit a bit easier to make and it gave them the latitude to make the their immediate follow-up and that's when they started getting problems but you know heading into this they're still in the nascent stages where they're not doing too much to buck against any kind of like recording restrictions. Cause they're right. still brand new. Like, you know, the, this is a good time to bring this up. There's, there is a, there's a label on this band that a lot of other bands at the time would throw at them. And they're like careerists. Like they're like, Oh, they're sellouts and they're like corporate rock. It's something that they were, you know, termed with a lot by other bands that were maybe a little less popular than them guys like pavement and bands like that, that were, you know, Oh, we're doing it for the music and, you know it just feels like they're trying to sell records and billy corgan has made no bones about this like he wanted people to hear his music so he made music people would hear like that comes into a whole different philosophical conversation of like what is it to sell out and does that actually mean anything to you but that was something that they didn't deal with as much early on because that they were working in that structure of like well no we have a record label and we need to meet these demands and we want to do it because we want our records to be heard they were still creative though at the time i feel like really because i mean the whole like sellout thing it's like you've been playing music your entire life. You think about that. Like, do you want to just like give that up and like do like a regular nine? Right. I mean, before you've even broke, you know? Yeah. Cause Siamese dream is what puts them through. Like it's their breakthrough album. You know, today was a huge Mm -hmm. hit. We didn't even talk about it, which is, you know, disarm was a huge hit. Cherub Rock was its own, was a single and did okay. But you know, it was a big, big album and had constant video play music videos for the children listening to this podcast. (laughs) We're, we're a big delivery device for all of us. I'm sure back in like our late, late you know pre-teen and teen stages like we we saw a lot of stuff on mtv mm-hmm. which used to play music and that was they were just as important as tons of other bands that had videos then like you remember smashing pumpkins videos you yeah. remember disarm with the camera floating all yeah. over the place and it's black and white and, and every person copied that style after that oh for sure you remember today with all of its colors and the ice cream truck and like you first time i ever saw a belly shirt right yeah like but that's what i'm saying stuff like that sticks with you like whether or not it's whatever i mean it's a belly shirt but you remembered it oh yeah that video was cool yeah you know like they they were just as much a visual band as they were you know audio and they they embraced that like to their credit they they took to that really well and that's something that definitely helps them now what's interesting about the same period of time is Pixies or Pisces Iscariot came out in 1994. Well, Pisces Iscariot is a compilation album, right? But I was going to talk about next. Okay, so we can just um, we can just segue into that now. So okay. what were you going to say about it? Well, what's interesting about that is is that at the time I didn't know like I, when I bought Siamese Dream I was trying to find a copy of Landslide and I didn't know that that right. was on that and so that was to me I never heard I never I haven't seen this since where a compilation album just is deep as a regular album so this is some like so is 
I don't know how you guys view compilation albums. Is it a throwaway thing, or is it just extra songs that make the... I don't know. It depends on everybody's interpretation of it. I think this case specifically, and this isn't always true, but this was definitely uh, a contractual demand thing as well. Like, oh, we'll we'll crank out another album. And uh, Billy Corgan was just recording so much stuff. Like, they... For a band that only released six albums in, you know, ten years, the unreleased material and B-sides and outtakes and demos and everything is so extensive. Like, they have albums worth of other songs from the time they were popular, from the time they were recording. And, you know, some of that gets put out, you know, in this time, and this is one of those things, Spices Iscariot being an album full of B-sides and you know, covers in the case of Landslide, which was the note, the most notable song on the album. Dude, it, the it got real play and stuff. Yeah, I honestly probably like that cover more than the original. Me too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful. I heard that like, song before I heard the flat Fleetwood Mac one, and then the Fleetwood Mac one. Like, eh. It's the one time where I'm like, I love his voice. Yeah. Like, and, like, yeah. And no, God, I hate it. It's too yeah. much tattoo. Really? I was about to say, and he's whining all over it, so uh, that is I definitely like that. a but take I thought it was like appropriate in that song. Like, it Matches. Yeah, really I love it, but I kind of felt that you were gonna hate on it. Yeah, <laughs> like, sorry, sorry. Don't apologize. Don't apologize. It's, it's it is whiny as fuck. But. I mean, it's a fine cover. Like, yeah, I get it. It's one of those things. Like, this, this basically sums up like how I feel about Billy Corgan's vocals in its entirety. Is like he's singing nicely, and I can tell that as a individual <laughs> judging it. But my ears are like, no, <laughs> like, no, nah, fam. It's no. a, it is definitely. If you are not a fan of his stylings, it is definitely a test because it's, it is like peak, it is peak <laughs> whiny snarls like it all is, over the yeah. place. It's too much, it's uh-huh. too much for me. <laughs> Just he that, a- the whole end <laughs> refrain with the. Uh-huh. <laughs> like- he does, a, he does a cover of um, "Never Let Me Down" by Depeche Mode, which is actually pretty. They have soft. a lot of pretty yeah. notable covers. Some, yeah. almost all of them are on unreleased things, yeah. but uh, they do a "You're All I've Got Tonight" by The Cars, which is a super good cover. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's a really good cover. Right, yeah. also around this time, like they for all the stuff that they do that they release, they also love other music. It shows, and there are tons of covers, and almost all of them are pretty serviceable. Yeah, but. Uh, Pisces is kind of like the stopgap in between Siamese Dream and Melancholy before they really break big and. It's, you know, Pisces Iscariot, to sum it up, is just, it's kind of just like Siamese Dream 2, like, I don't know, Cantonese Dream. It's just like, it's just a follow-up. It's just more of the same. It, it, not, it's, it's fine. Like, Plume is all right. Blue is a pretty good song. But there's, there's nothing super, super, like, I'm not writing home about it. It's just kind of yeah. what it is. Like, sorry, Roger. I know, I feel the I broke same way Roger. about it. Like, it's one that of the... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, after after that though, I, I actually I want to give since I'm going to mention one of their their soundtrack things later because this is the best thing about the '90s in my personal opinion. Oh my god! Is that bands were just throwing songs on movie soundtracks and compilations and you know discs and stuff all over the place. And one of the I think to be fair, their better song shows up on the incredibly important <laughs> single soundtrack in 1992, which is "Drown," which is a great song. Like "Drown" <laughs> is an excellent song. It sounds. It sounds more like Siamese Dream than Gish, but they're kind of recorded in between, so it's like it's a weird kind of transition for what they are and what they will be. But I think it's beautiful. It's not the best song on that soundtrack. There's a ton of fucking songs on that soundtrack. Uh, we will be talking about '90s compilations at some point, though, so do not do not worry. Drown will get a much bigger day to be talked about later. <laughs> but uh, since we don't want to take too long talking about one song, let's talk about like 30 fucking songs and Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Their big, giant, multi-platinum, Grammy-winning 1995 hit, giant smash release, double-disc crazy thing. (laughs) So 
All right, so if you weren't a fan, a fan of this band by this point, you now at least knew who they were because oh, this yeah. was huge. It was everywhere, like Roger was mentioning with the Zero shirts and the fucking aesthetic. All of that comes to a giant crashing head here. All of the giant hits, you know, 1979, Zero, Bullet with Butterfly Wings, Tonight Tonight. Like, this album is giant in both scope and in actual sales. It is a huge release. And speaking personally... I fucking loved this album at the time. Like it was, it was the center of my world for like a solid year and a half. Yeah. I listened to it constantly. Like half and half. Yeah, yeah. We will, as we finesse it, we'll break it down. Too. Yeah, because it was yeah, it was two discs, so you had a whole lot to parse through there. And I thought it was just a fucking towering work of genius. I have cooled on it a bit <laughs> uh, in the time <laughs> that it has been released, but I was a very Saturday. emotional fourteen-year-old. So, you know, that kind of stuff is what that stuff is. Yes, yes, you did. And this album spoke to all of them. But in looking back, I think it is fair to say, as Lacey has alluded to, and we will continuously allude to, this album does a lot to get up and up and up and then just fucking crashes. Yeah, like, th- that's my beat. The second end of this album is long and slow and not particularly interesting. Yeah, yeah. The, like, it, yeah, it just kind of, yeah, like, just kind of plummets. You're yep. like, where are we going? All right, now I don't see where we're going. Which is which is too bad because you know there are a lot of great songs here. Like it Some can't be it cannot be underestimated how great these songs are. We we talked about specifically 1979 on our top 96 of 96 episode. Also look for in the archives. And uh, 1979 was the number one song in Spin.com's review of the 1996. And I agreed. I agreed then, and I agree now. I think 1979 is a classic. I think it is an expert. You know, a perfect view point into what that era of music sounded like and i think they were the perfect band for it like it had the right a right amount of nostalgia the right amount of fuzz like the right amount of feel goods just hearing that song just puts you in such a good place and uh yeah I, all right well enough about that song someone else talk about something well, else on like, this album that whole album is like extremely theatrical i feel like more so oh than yeah the rest i'm like like and sometimes well, i guess sometimes in that song oh well in the album it it knocks it out of the park, and then other times it's just a complete miss to me. Like, like, like we were saying earlier, like it really is a snooze. Like in the end, I just yeah. I, I can't get into it. Like I've tried like a million times, but there's half of that record that I, I feel like where they should have cut that record in half and been like, maybe let's do twelve songs. Yeah. I think if it was just the first disc plus like two more songs, yeah. you could have made a solid sixteen track effort. Yeah, well, and that like, could have been enough. Didn't you write like fifty two songs or something like that for that record? The expanded edition of this is like ninety something songs. That's like ninety two. So but yeah. that includes some it demos includes, like, and stuff. Demos, but but yeah, other but... songs that were there are other songs that are released right around the same time as this because the the demand for their music became such that they released a a, a set of EPs that were just they had uh, it was called the aeroplane flies high it was five discs so it's like each of the singles then got four or five extra songs put on each one of them and they all got released in a box and that thing sold out it sold like 300,000 copies which because of the technical selling discs and there's five discs in each box made them made it platinum also because it was one and a half million copies so that was the demand was there and all of those songs were different there were covers on there there were other tracks that weren't released on other things like it the amount of music that they were making at this point is just unrivaled. Like they have songs everywhere, and a third of which we heard at the time. So yeah. to be wrote, wrote by one dude is kind of super right. Impressive. I mean they they are there are credits to Eha and you know Ratsky and stuff on some of these songs, 
but it's some. Like oh, yeah. it's and he's an you underrated know. guitar player. Completely. No, and I think that's fair. I actually think that's not something that gets talked about a lot. Billy Corgan, for all the things we can shit on him for, you know, you can argue about his voice and kind of stuff like that. I think he's a real solid hand. Like, oh yeah, as far as like you know what drives a song and his particular vision of what drives a song, and he nails that. Oh, like, there's certain times that he gets in kind of like a virtuoso quality that you're like, whoa, I, like with all this noise, like you don't see him coming out like riffing like that. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. No, totally. Um, so Roger, what do you what do you have to say about melancholy? Well, every it seems like every great band has that moment where you have that Brian Wilson, I'm going to make a double album moment or the Beatles moment, and this is their moment there. And they also brought back double albums because at that time, you look at the 80s, forget about it. No one really did that anymore. That was a theme that was lost upon or having these hidden tracks. You know, you look at the what the Beatles did later with all these tracks that came out later and, and keeping a storage vault. And the Smashing Pumpkins did that with this album. And it's when I first listened to it, at my teenage formidable years, I didn't. It was it was great. I loved the hits, and then there was a couple songs. Here's no why. It was another really underrated song. On Here's no why. Yeah, you're still ready to rock. Yeah, you're still ready to rock. That's one yeah. of the best songs on the whole record. Yeah, that's. I love that song. And that even like to like the songs like you kind of don't think about too much. Like you know, fuck you and old and no one. That's just kind of his way of. And at that time, you look at ninety five, ninety six, and all these like when. The alternative became more of that corporate steaming. You started seeing the uptick of, uh oh, some of this stuff is not authentic, yes, right? Corny. Yeah, yeah, corny, kind of like like offshoot of what it was. This album represents the kind of, well, we're not going to be put in a box. This is you know, like, uh, right in the cage, kind of right. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think he seemed <laughs> living the metaphor. Yeah, living the metaphor yeah. with that album, and I think that's why this album stands out to me. It's not my favorite Smashing Pumpkin album. Smashing Pumpkins album mm. because it kind of goes a little too, I don't know, it sometimes lacks a certain path, if you will, yeah. but overall, it is very ambitious for that time. Oh, and, incredibly. And, and, and just, yeah. he has the, you know, he has the brass cojones to just go, you know what, this, I'm going to make this, it's cool, this is what I like, and deal with it, and, it, yeah, and it, he's, you know, he started a trend with that, too. It is definitely, like, a passion project, like, laid, laid whole, you know, and as much as I respect, like I said, as much as I respect what it accomplishes i don't think it does enough to merit how giant it is <laughs> like it's yeah. just it's, there's too many misses like yeah. again looking back on it you could have told me that then i would have told you to fuck off and they're the best man in the world but yeah but you know there was a, there was a lot of singles on it no, so were, i think a lot of people probably six. like bought this record with that in mind yeah you know what i mean That's a good point. back then i mean you couldn't just download one song right like, no i mean they sold singles in single disc format but it'd be like oh man there's like four songs on here that lose by it you know yeah and i i must admit like i really enjoyed this record when i had it you know what i mean when it was out i listened to it a lot but i did find myself kind of checking out towards the end of that second disc so yeah I mean, no it's true the same complaint it, that it peaks has, really early too because like yeah. i think 33 is my it's oh, my favorite too. i was gonna talk about 33 I love it's my song. favorite smashing pumpkin song oh, period okay, not, like not me, it is my favorite and that is one of the more sad boy, you know, sad fests. But like- it's it's beautiful and perfect. But it kind of hits the crescendo there for me. And then 1979 happens and you're like, man, this is pretty great. And then everything after that, I can just stop. I can just stop after that. I like how my initial yeah. complaint uh, at the beginning of the show was like, oh, they're too whiny and sad and slow. And then I'm like, I love these sad songs. <laughs> they're better at just them. Just the like, oh Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, for... for for all the talk of what they can do, you know, with guitars and with drums and stuff, and this is important because they can do all of those things. 
I think Billy Corgan just worked better in that mode. Like he is better yeah. at being sad than a lot of other people are. Yeah, and listen yeah. to his it shows voice. for sure. <laughs> right? Mm. Yeah, it doesn't hurt like all the extra instrumentation that's on this. No, record. no, yeah, it's, it's, just, yeah, it's like, crazy. Yeah, so much stuff going on that like it's one of those records that I can listen to now and I'm like, oh, I didn't hear that like the first time I listened mm-hmm. to it. You know, it's really especially that that beginning of 1979, like which would start the trend going towards his next album. But 1979 is my it's one of my favorite songs of all time, and I oh, and that yeah. song is one hundred percent. That is one of those. It is it says a lot about the decade, but it's also all it says just it, it's a song that you know you think back and you have whatever attached memories to it. But I really believe that. So, um, but yeah, it, the thing about this album too that really stands out to me as well. Before we move on, really is well, you guys were talking about the the the, the track two or the disc two. Yeah, two discs. Do you guys think it's at this point, it's just burnout, or you just think no. that, like, or just he was just like, this is the theme he's <laughs> gonna stick with it. I don't think so, but Lacey, you sound almost exhausted. <laughs> like, yeah. no, I just, I just think that that is what Billy Corgan wanted to do. Like, yeah. These, yeah. these sad, slow, like, like Dave said, like he works well in that space. I mean, that is, we we heard this, like I said, same thing, you know, creeping in on the first album second you know what i mean it's it's, it's coming it's worse and worse. he just yeah. he just brings it in really hard on this i mean he's got what how many songs are on this 28, 28 all together yeah. and, and a double disc you know he's got room to do yeah, it's, it it's two hours long but like i like i said i think i mean i personally think it could have cut some of that but yeah, you know for sure i mean second. that's obviously what he as an artist was wanting yeah to do no i agree i think it, it definitely it's going to take its toll on the band like there's a there's a giant period of touring here like for all the things you can say about the smashing pumpkins good or bad they were fucking everywhere mm-hmm. from like 1995 until like 99 they just toured constantly they had so many appearances i i can see how their coming output would be a chore to get through because of all of the stuff they were doing as a band prior to it. Like it takes a full three years before their next, you know, official release. And in that time they toured the world. They toured constantly. They were supporting melancholy. Like it was the only thing they would ever do. And it's impressive looking back on it now that a band at the absolute height of their power put in the work to earn it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, like, they definitely earned it. Yeah, they were like the hardest working band in showbiz for a couple of years there. Just constant, nonstop touring. And that's amazing. Like, to to not rest on your laurels at a time you absolutely could have. You know, they would go back to start recording in, like, late 97. But in the meantime, though, they're just the band of the world. They're constant, constant appearances and presence. And I definitely think it kind of reflects sort of what they head into in 98. And they completely change their sound for Adore. Which is an album, mileage may vary, person to person. I won't be the first person to talk about this, but Lacey, I think you have... I've talked to you about this before. You like Adore, yeah? I just think I think it's probably a little bit better than pe- people actually give it credit for. Why? Be- well, I think the problem with this record was they're coming off of Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. People have huge expectations for them. What year did Melancholy come out? 95. Okay, so there's a three-year gap yeah. there. Um. There's like a huge demand for the Smashing Pumpkins, and they do a fucking 180 on this record. I mean, it, it's there's like electronic vibes going on and everything, and I think people probably heard it and they were like, "Oh, you know, like, <laughs> that was my like, reaction." Th- yeah, because this oh. was this was like a huge like the 
the demand for this and like yeah. the expectations for this album were really big. Really, really high. Like people were waiting for this. And I think that is why people disliked it so much. If they would have yeah. just followed this up a little bit sooner and maybe like it was almost like they were they were following their their like their magnum opus, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And it's like what could you have done at that point? Like they would have had to really come it come out with a like a, a really fucking strong album to even meet those expectations. So and then the coupled with the fact that they kind of change up their sound and do you know that a, kind a of I mean they change up their yeah, sound. I like mean, they, yeah, they yeah, straight, I shouldn't say kind. Of, yeah, they yeah, straight they take an entirely different so approach. So coupled with the fact that they totally do a one eighty and like this is like nothing we've ever heard from them before. I think it turned a lot of people off. But if if I go back now and me included myself included at the time I was kind of like, well I kind of like this song but. And this is where I start to fall off. Um, yeah. yeah. On the Smashing Pumpkins. I, th- I think that's true for many people. <laughs> but if I go back and listen to it now, and over the years I have gone back and listened to it, and I'm like, you know what? this it's I don't think it's a bad record. Like, it's not great, in my opinion, but, like, there's some good songs on there, and I do like that single, that Ava Adore single. I think it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, definitely something that the now looking back on it that I appreciate more. Yeah. I just wasn't really ready for like the whole electronic aspect of it because yeah. that's not what I was looking for when I was right. young, Absolutely. you know? I don't think anybody that was a fan of this band was looking no. for that, yeah. which is why it didn't perform well then. Yeah. It was know? creeping in to, uh, I think, electronic music at the time was kind of... It was creeping into everything. It was creeping <laughs> yeah. into everything. Yeah. Um, but I certainly wasn't really wanting to hear it and i certainly wasn't wanting to hear it from one of my tried and true like rock bands i agree because i was an early adopter of that that era of electronic (laughs) stuff like i love the chemical brothers and (laughs) i was into prodigy and like i was into that kind of commercial aspect electronica kind of stuff right away but i hated this album when it came out yeah because i wanted i was very much of the mind like no keep my rock thing rock and my electronica thing electronica but you know I appreciate that now more as someone who is like can learn to appreciate when artists take chances. But in re-listening to it, I still don't like this album. Really? I tried and I don't know, it just loses me somewhere. It's kind of muddled. The whole thing doesn't feel focused. It's you know, I know the making of this album wasn't easy. The band was still all fucked up. Billy Corgan was getting a divorce. Like it's you yeah. know, that's and he's he has too many people in the studio. There's like extra percussionists and there's like mm-hmm. fucking violinists and shit. So like <laughs> You you try to take on too much and you get burnt out and I think it shows. This album is frazzled and it's not it's not cohesive. Even in the way that melancholy is expanse and nuts mm-hmm. and does too much. At that even then you still feel like there's a vision. Like yeah, it's you can yeah. right. Okay, whether or not you whether or not you want to take the journey, fine, but it's there. Like there yeah. is a path for you to go down. And this album is just kinda of like, well, you can go this way, but fuck it, I don't care. <laughs> so I don't know. Like, I think Perfect is an excellent song. It's like, I think that sustains above the other songs on this album, and I still think it's one of their better tunes. But apart from that, I could leave the whole album behind and not not miss it at all. I feel like that about most of the records after this record. Yeah. Yeah. Like, mm, yeah. Hey, man, I, I don't blame you. I mean, like, this was a this was a difficult point to get past Like yeah. with, with this band, especially as someone that loved them as much as I did. I wanted to be there for this and yeah. just couldn't. Like, I... Yeah. yeah, I can't now either. Like, and I'm, I can separate that from then and now. Like, it, I don't feel the same way about it. I don't hate it the same way I did then, but I still don't like it. It's just a different way to not like it. Yeah. Well, to me, this I felt this was like a year. This came out in '98, so that whole electronic thing was starting to take place, as Dave mentioned earlier. 
but it really didn't seep into like it, you know I was joking with Dave we talked uh, earlier this week about band name Orgy and, and Billy <laughs> talked about how he had felt like he had band. he felt like he had to compete with those bands at the time that were coming out with that kind of sound with Orgy he it was just <laughs> in fairness. That was a very big album. Yeah, that was <laughs> like, a good, yeah. I like that yeah. album. Yeah, yeah. For that I mean, time, Blue yeah. Monday was a huge cover. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. I, it feels like the time period's off. Is it? Would it have come out then? Yeah, I think yeah. I came out in '97. Yeah, Orgy did. I think yeah. so. Like '90. Yeah, there. I'll, I'll look it up here in a second. But the the thing I is, it was '99. That's when I was starting to maybe, become real goth. Yeah, that's yeah, what. Yeah, same. That's why I'm like, yeah. Yeah. and I'm like, I don't know. I didn't start wearing black lipstick until <laughs> so I was 14. You guys. This is the beginning of the end of <laughs> to me what I thought this album when I heard it. I honestly thought this to myself and I've said it to many people. I thought this was the end of the good run of alternative music because when I heard this, I like perfect a lot. It's a great video. It's kind of a sequel to 1979. You see how the kids now are adults. And I thought that video was really, well, that's one of my favorite videos of all time. Yeah. Yeah. The kids in that video are now adults and everything, but it's, it's just a a thing about this band that really stood out to me was all right. 98. So concurrent. Yeah. Like this album and things like orgy. I think the orgy thing is more in reference to the stuff that they were coming. They would start making after that. Yes. But he's definitely talked about like the rise of bands like corn and limp biscuit becoming a thing that would lead them kind of away from what they were doing initially because like people don't want to hear what we're doing now like they want to hear this shit yeah he was prickly about it at the time and you know I was too so and, and now I still am like looking back I was never a fan of those bands fuck those bands but you know you can take you can take it wherever you want to but I got where he was coming from like people just didn't want to hear the Smashing Pumpkins they just didn't so. and, and this is also too his, his, at the time he had to fire Jimmy Chamberlain that was the hardest decision he had to make plus on top of it his mother died, so mm. maybe yeah. that explains the frazzled aspect of it all, but maybe. I mean, we, we have a lot of that shit going on. It's easier to have, perhaps, in his case, not this usual layered of guitarness to it. Maybe it was like, oh, I'll, do, I'll let the computers do its work, or the synth, yeah. you know, yeah. work. And he talked about the, the Peshmo, which has been a heavy influence on him throughout. You can, oh, for sure. Yeah, you can yeah, tell you that. You can hear it. Yeah. You can hear it, but Adore, yeah, even on the second time around, I was just, I, I was yeah, checked out. Yeah, they always kind of had this like uh, almost like kind of Cure vibe that I've always, always oh liked. absolutely. Yeah, I, I really thought in that record they were kind of like they were encompassing some of it, but also losing like my favorite parts that they were taking from that sound. No, right? uh, yeah, I I think that's fair because yeah, it is that's a good point. You know, he's definitely a fan of the Cure. They've covered Cure songs and stuff, but that there is like a through line that they were kind of abandoning coming into Adore. That was like, well, we we always if we have anything, we still have like riffs and we still have you know, like something that will set us apart musically in song to song. There will be a, a Smashing Pumpkin song to be found. Yeah. And I think the reason I hated this record is because they let that go. Like yeah. they, they tried too much, like Roger was saying, to lean on some more production stuff and do a bit more with the sound they weren't as familiar with. They could be fans of it and they could be influenced by it, but putting, you know, pen to paper is different from putting, you know, fucking guitar to recording. Yeah. So it just, it doesn't translate the same way. Real quick, too. I, on my second time around, I did find out how much I did like, I didn't like it at the time, but to Sheila, that's a good track. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't like it at the time, and I kind of liked it. I started liking it a little better. Right. Now, the, so. the cool thing about having the stuff available to you still is that you can, you know, you can form new opinions about something old that you may have had a very strong opinion on and i like to keep that in mind listening to stuff i haven't revisited in a long time and uh that's something that something i thought would come with the door that did not was that i could listen to it with like a with like a new set of ears of just Mm -hmm. like well i I hated it then and i'll listen to it now 
and I'm prepared to like it more. And then was disappointed in finding that the reasons I hated it then were different than the reasons I hate it now, but I still don't like it. Like it just, (laughs) it offered me nothing in the way of like a fresh listen. I was just like, no, this is still droning and it's still boring and it's still not doing what I want this to do. Like, yeah, Yeah, like like, nothing ever gets you up. And I, like I said, perfect is a great song and I, I stand by its pop sensibility, but it's because of its a skewing of everything else that album does. It doesn't sound like the rest of that album. Yeah, no. yeah. It sounds like an old Smashing Pumpkins song, and that's why it's so fucking great in my mind. But I don't know. Before we get too far into it, we're going to cover the second half of the band's career here. But we're actually going to take a break and uh, regroup for a second, and we will come right back. And you won't know that we were ever gone because this is a podcast. So <laughs> we'll come back in a second. Hey, gang, Dave here, and I wanted to tell you thanks so much for listening to the show. I'd like to encourage you to listen to some of our friends and affiliates on the SRD Network. Uh, For even more entertainment, news, and pop culture, check out shows like The Lab Tracks, Parsons and Slow, Fanarchy, Grave Discussions, Counting Tracks, SRD Roadshow. There's more. There's a lot. But what about sports, you ask? It's in the name. What about sports? You want sports? SRD Ringside, On the Button, Mitten Sports Talk, Out of Bounds, Pucking Around, The Whip and Nene, and many, many more, including live stream play-by-play for several local high school hockey and football programs. Woo! Find all of this and more at sportsradiodetroit.com. No format given. And we're back. Uh, Thank you for dealing with that brief interlude. Hopefully you'll heed to uh, to its wordage and check out the rest of what I was pimping you there. Um, but anyway, we are we are back discussing the Smashing Pumpkins. We've gotten through the majority of the run. Uh, we're heading into 2000 now with the I don't want to call it controversial, but the release of what would be the last um, original lineup and the last formal incarnation of this band, the Smashing Pumpkins, as uh, Machina is released. In two parts, one part is the only thing that gets released. Machina uh, one, which is oh, I just forgot the the whole name of the Friends fucking and nonsense. Or no, that's the second one. Oh right, right, right. Oh, Machina, Machina of the Gods. The yeah, Machina of the, the Gods. Yeah, because yeah. it was it was a proposed two parts. Uh, the first one was given a proper release, uh, studio and a CD and record and all that shit. And then the second one was an internet only release. There were something like twenty something copies pressed. And they were given to some DJs who were then told to spread it, you know, virally before that was a term. But uh, if viewed as one thing, we'll we'll talk about Machina 2 because it, it exists. But in dealing with Machina 1, because it's like the last proper released disc, um, how many people listened to this when it was then? Like in 2000? Nope. Me and Roger? Just not me. Nope. Yeah. I was doing this week, though. Yeah, okay. I had so, an ex- ex-girlfriend who was really, really into this album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, so for the uninitiated, did you guys, if you heard it now, what did you think of it hearing it new for the first time? It was all right. It was the same thing. Like I said, like it just kind of fell off. Like I felt like it, like they just started to get more and more droney for me. Like there's always like they always have a few tracks, I feel like, on those last records that were like, okay, these are cool. But overall, it just it lost me. Yeah, I was totally checked out at this point. And for being that I was the only one in the room that could have any defensive adore like i i had just moved on at this point but go, going back i mean it's fine i guess but <laughs> i don't i nothing from here on out really resonated with me right, I, like this this was the end for me with the smashing pumpkins at the time i was much less uh 
much less inclined to enjoy this. Like at this point, it was already announced before this album was released that the band was breaking up. Uh, uh, Darcy had left the band at this point, and the tour, the minimal tour that was done for this, was uh, Melissa Oftermeyer from Hole was the bassist, and she oh, replaced her. Right. Yeah, replaced her on the the remaining tour stuff. Um, it was a it was a weird time, like knowing that this was the end of the band, as as had been stated by. Mm you know, Billy Corgan and that this was going to be the last thing that they did. They're like, well, this is the last album we're releasing. So here it is. And, uh, I didn't really want to like it then because I was mad. It was like, well, you did a door and fuck that. And now you're doing this and you're leaving. Like, well, fine. Fuck off. Uh, so time heals. <laughs> and, uh, 18 years later, I gotta tell you, I fucking love this album. Really? Yes. Uh, I think Machina is, kind of an underappreciated classic it sounds significantly more like the smashing pumpkins that i liked like everlasting gaze is like their big single from it it's the first song and it has a good gothy kind of adore sound to it but with more of the more of the dream guitar riffs through it that you're kind of familiar from like melancholy and siamese dream stuff um, I think this album, like I said, I I'm not gonna go track by track, but like "Stand Inside Your Love" is a great song. "Try Try Try" is a great song. "This Time" is a great song. Like, there are a lot of really great songs on this record that I think aren't remembered the same way because it didn't have a lot of time to gestate in the mind of people because they were gone. Like right after that, uh, if you aren't a fan of this band and you were you kind of missed the window of when that band was popular, I would actually almost tell you to listen to this first. Because going backwards, this is easier to digest. Like, it is very present. Like, it is a very of-the-moment and kind of of-its-time kind yeah. of sounding album. So it's not, like, it's not super great in the aspect that it kind of sounds like something that was made in 2000, and a lot of that isn't great. But for the Smashing Pumpkins, it has a weird clarity that was the first time they had sounded that identified. Like, Adore is, like I said, I, my feelings on Adore I've made known. But this sounds way more like the Smashing Pumpkins than Adore did. And for that, now I appreciate it. And Machina 2 does more to to reinstate that, like reinforce that. I think played together as two things. Machina 2 is not as easy to get to. You can find it on YouTube. But unless you like bought it or had it downloaded at the time, it's not super available. But it is good. And as a companion piece, these are both, I think, really great albums, like a return to earlier form. So... I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe it's just because I'm listening to it now and I listened to all of this like over the past couple of months to get ready for the show. But I found myself re-listening to this more than once in preparation for this and being really impressed by how good it sounded. Like, I, I definitely like the opening track, too, yeah. when I listened to it, but that was the only thing that really super caught me. Yeah, but it's, it's a good tune, though. Like, it, it stays. Like, it has a... It has a good, you know, that drive, you yeah. know, and him staying, stating like right at the top, you know, I'm not dead. And he's just like, it, whether or not the band is ending is one thing, but Billy Corgan is making it known like, yeah. all right, well, fuck that. But I have not gone anywhere and will not. Like, that's kind of a cool, it's kind of a nice punctuation at the end, at the, the uh, you know, the burgeoning death of this band for him to be like, well, fine, but no, you know, like, I, I don't know. This is kind of where, like, my disdain for Billy Corgan starts to, like, creep into my... Yeah. Because I even remember at the time being, like, Mach- Machina 1, and then there's going to be a companion piece, like, 
fuck you. Like, yeah. I would just, like, roll my eyes at it. Like, you want to put out a record, put out a record. Like, I get there's concept albums and stuff, but, like, you want to make another double disc? Oh, no, you want to make the second one difficult for people to find, you know? Well, like, this is, going back to what you had said earlier about record label stuff, they wanted to release a double disc. Yeah. But because of the poor sales and reception of Adore, they were told no. Right. They were like, okay, well, you can put this out. And he's like, but two. And they said, no, fuck you. Like, you're not melancholy anymore. Right. You're fucking adore, and adore was bad, and you should it. feel bad. So at now you get time, one. At the same time, I just like, that's, like I said, one of the, this is that spot where I'm kind of like, ugh, like I just to start to like roll my person. eyes. And it it became like, a lot easier to find. Starting too. to become the Billy Corgan. Right. Show. Because this is now like the nascent stages of the internet yeah. in 2000. Like, the stories of Billy Corgan being an absolute twat started becoming much more prevalent. Yeah. Like, you know, they they were they were in circles and they were printed in things like and you could read interviews with the guy where he does sound really up his own ass, but it's becoming known to people now, like, oh Billy Corgan's kind of a strange guy and yeah. Billy Corgan's kind of a control freak. Like that was the narrative now. Like that that became his defining characteristic. You know, despite what he had done being celebrated, it was now like, Well, all right, well, Billy seems like he's really difficult to work with, so I guess I can see why this band is breaking up. Yeah. And it was his decision. Like he was like, "Well, I'm breaking the band up." And I guess anybody, if anybody had that call, it would be him, since it was his fucking thing, really. So I don't know. I mean, again, looking back on it, then it, I, I, I kind of just sold it off wholesale. But I am glad I took the chance to re-listen to this because I do think it's really good. Like I, I think it's surprisingly good, and that is that was a surprise to me. But, uh, yeah, and speaking to Machina 2, it's, it is also very good. I can't remember all the names of the songs specifically because I, don't had, I didn't have a track list when I was listening to it. I just listened to it. But uh, I do like it. I think it, is, it sounds a lot like this. Like they, are definitely, they are definitely a companion piece, more so than I think Melancholy was. Like there was a, yeah. there's, a, there's a whole focus here that I think is lacking from that that I, again, think is much better in retrospect than I gave it credit for then. But we don't have to belabor the point. Like, if, if we're not all familiar with it, I don't want to talk all day on it. But I would tell people that skipped that then to maybe give this album a chance because it's it's better than I remembered it, certainly. And I think it's uh, it's actually one of their better albums, like, all the way through. I think it's surprisingly good. But uh, moving on from that, so that's, uh, that's the end of the Smashing Pumpkins, you know, prime. Oh. What? Oh, I just wanted to chime in real quick just because I, I like I have uh, I have the morning that was a good song on there and then, okay like, yeah just the thing is especially with right after this album and just only because it's he's part of the band is what James Ida did after that which was a complete departure Eha. Eha, sorry. <laughs> not a potato sorry James Eha did <laughs> with his solo stuff I mean he did solo stuff right beforehand too but right it, it, I was actually going to talk about that because oh. it's, I'm glad you brought it up though because there is there's a period there where there are no Smashing Pumpkins like it's, yeah. that's it and everybody kind of goes and fucks off and does their own thing and Eha puts out a, a, like a, a couple of well regarded solo albums let it come um, down yeah and he does uh, most famously becomes like a prime member of a perfect circle like right. that's the thing yeah. he does in like the early thousands Right, and again, Great. to each their own. Like I, I like a perfect circle. I think they're fine. And uh, he was more of a touring presence. Like he was on all their tours from like '03 until whenever. And uh, he didn't record on the first two albums, but he's like I said, he's around and he's doing that. He's kind of off doing other stuff. He does a lot of production. Like he gets really busy, and you could tell like he had an itch to do a lot more than he was like allowed to do in the band he was in. So, uh, so you join a band with yeah. Maynard James Keenan, right? Well, it, who's more of a control freak? Not then. just that, though. He, 
this is something I had not heard of then, and I only found in like doing research for this thing. He had like a really weird, functionally, I'll call it a supergroup in like 2009. It was called Tinted Windows, and it's him. Um, oh fuck, I didn't write him down. Well, it's him, and then members of a couple of other bands you would expect, and remember uh, someone from Fountains of Wayne, and then what? like I've right. Hold on, it gets better. Okay, and then uh, fr- fronted by Taylor Hansen of what? of Hansen. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, James E. Hobb, Fountains of Wayne. Well, now I know Taylor what I'm doing yep. for the next like, of and my, Bunny uh, Carlos of Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick. That's, yeah, I couldn't remember the other band. So what yeah, the Cheap yeah, Trick the drummer, the, the smoking yeah. drummer. Are you, are you guys fucking? <laughs> no, no, it's a real thing. And apparently the album isn't terrible. Like I did not listen to it, what but you, I can imagine. they released one album and it's not bad. So make of that what you will. I'm, I'm, I'm beside. I'm gonna have to check this out. <laughs> this is. Yeah. I know what I'm doing for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> just listening to this. Just listening to this and uh, imagining what? what it would be like to have Taylor Hansen in the Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, and Rob Thomas's <laughs> tinted tinted windows. Album. Oh, yeah, that, there's a, that's a thing. A, I don't know. No, but real quick, <laughs> this CD, by the way, got stuck in my car that I had at the time. Think um, this CD? No, the the Machina. CD. Oh, okay. okay I'm so like, I was kind of forced <laughs> to listen. To I was going to say like I had never even fucking heard of it. Who was the <laughs> no, no, it was. I was, so I was forced to listen to it then, and I didn't like it then. I, even when I went back to it real quick, I just – I understand what was going on at the point. It was just the, the waving of the white flag. That's the way I significate this album to me is, yeah. like, all right, we're done. I'm I'm well, I'm not technically done, but this is – and then he started that project that Dave loves so much. That, oh, I'm getting to it. No, yeah. I mean, I will, no, let, me, let me tell you a real so quick story about Swan? this. This Okay. When I first – when I got reacquainted with Dave again – the first thing he tells, we're talking like you know, you know, oh, what's going on, blah blah, since high school, you know, shooting the crap, shooting the shit. This is like oh two, yeah, oh two, oh three, oh three, yeah. And he's like, have you checked out Swan? I'm like, no, what is Swan? <laughs> so Dave preaches to me every day, and we started hanging out a lot every day and every time. Oh, Swan, I'm so good, man, so good, so good. And I'm just like, okay, all right, still I'm not. So it's been glad. 15 years. Yeah. It's been 15 fucking years, and that I mean every fucking word yeah, then that, that I do now. Yeah, that album that is great. So hard. I will fucking defend it until I am dead. Zwan. <laughs> I am so glad that you never came at me with that. <laughs> he wrote it hard. I mean, he was just like, in the apartment we lived together, it was just, it was one of those moments that still sticks out to yeah. me now because. Well, fuck you. That album's great. I just uh, imagine you being like, <laughs> you gotta pick your spots. Like I, I kind of tend to know like when I want to try to force things on people, and I didn't feel like Billy Corgan abandoning his snaggletooth vampire gimmick for like happy Christian rock was gonna be something you were super into. Well, but, were but let me fucking tell you, sister, <laughs> Mary Star of the Sea, the only release of Zwan, a very short-term project that he started in the ashes of Smack and Pumpkin, is a fucking solid record. I will defend it until I am dead. I think every song is great. It has super, super awesome, like high impact kind of songs. It's like power pop to the nth degree. And I fucking love it. I love every fucking second of it. Just because I just because I wanted to prove a point years later on. Just I checked it out for you for this album. Yeah, for, the, for this and I'm not even mad, and yeah. it's great. And it's and it's good to hear him with Jimmy Chamberlain in there. Yes, also there. Jimmy good. Chamberlain returns as drummer. Yeah, um, that's a smart idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 it helps. I mean that that yeah. he's that power pop shit. He's he's drumming yeah. through that shit like yeah. Solid. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. We you, we listen to this. Uh, me and you in the car from Grand Rapids, and <laughs> a little behind the a little behind the curtain. It was, yeah, Lacey and I hang out outside of the podcast. Was, what? <laughs> yeah, and we go to Grand Rapids, and on our way back, we listen to Swan at the 
gentle urging of Dave because <laughs> he he knows how to pick his battles. And, and it, yeah, it's I I remember like thinking favorably of it when it came out, but a lot of people hated it. A lot of people yeah. hated it, and that maybe only made me want to like it more. I was like I say, yeah, I didn't hate it. Yeah. by any means, I thought it was definitely a step up from the the last Pumpkins record. For sure, it's such a departure. Like that's yeah. I think more than anything, I was like, I didn't think he had this in him. Like yeah. this was. It was such a 180 about face from the sad ass droning of the last couple albums to then be like, you know, I mean, the album is effectively a Christian rock album. Like he was at the time, like being ministered to and like has been exploring Christianity after like all this shit had happened with the pumpkins and all this stuff goes down. And he's like, well, I'm feeling pretty good about shit. Let's make an album. (laughs) And it's so up the truck, the track endless summer. Like, yeah, you know, like that's something that you would think of the grease or the beach. Yeah, no, for sure. It it does. It has like fucking elements of surf rock on this fucking album. He doesn't fuck around. He's hitting all he's firing on all cylinders. And it's unfortunate. In the happiest vehicle ever. <laughs> no, and I understand why you get upset that when later on you find out the band breaks up and then you find out the real reasons why it was like just kind of controversial. Yeah. Well, yeah. I get, yeah, it depends on who you ask, but still. No, I I came around to it. I, know, it took me 15 years, but... I don't want to turn this into Zwancast, but... I'm, st- I'm still on Taylor Hansen cheap trick, and I can ask that thing about that. Yeah. What was I, it called? Tinted Windows. Oh, Lord, I am ready. Yeah. My body is we will, ready. All right, well, My the, body is ready. the Tinted Windows cast will come next week, but while we're, while we're still... We're still divulging off into side projects. Uh, I'll, I'll wrap it up again by putting the final marker on that. Zwan fucking owns that album is great. <laughs> And uh, that was what Billy Corgan did, and then nothing else for a little while, uh, musically anyway. He he tried to do like a Zwan spinoff that was weird and Indian themed and kind of stuff. The Jolly Zwan that did not ever happen or exist really. But all of this is you know scrapped and everything kind of goes by the wayside while everybody's off doing their own thing. Uh, Jimmy Corgan, uh, Jimmy Corgan, Billy Corgan uh, effectively reforms the Smashing Pumpkins, and it is not your mama's smashing pumpkins it's just billy corgan and other assembled players uh i don't i can't i'm sorry for not remembering all their names mark burn was the name of the drummer uh other other members of other bands pulled together yeah yeah i'm sorry james schroeder so there are people brought in to replace the old guard and they were going to do a new thing and that results in 2007 zeitgeist the only positive thing i can say about this album is that billy corgan doesn't sound terrible apart from that i don't like it like yeah, I, I, I feel like they do this every time it's like the opening track was really really yep. good and i was like man this is like a real rocker and then it just started to kind of yeah it's like his theme yeah and i don't know why they fail to recapture any kind of the i guess the magic of that earlier stuff but i think they're going for it and it isn't working like yeah. i don't i don't know why but something about listening to this just kind of put me off from like what I wanted to hear from it. It wasn't that it was bad. It did nothing for me though. Like it it brought nothing that I felt was any kind of validation for it existing. Yeah. It was like kind of reminiscent of like old pumpkin stuff, but like nothing that's putting its own stamp on it. Right. No growth. No, none. That, and I think that was the biggest problem. Like it, it, you'd been gone for a while and you're using the name. We expect something in the manner of like a, Pro, you know a progression and it just isn't there yeah. you know it's just a make a, a record to for the sake of making a record i think so yeah. and you know you want to be active and i'm not chiding artists for wanting to create but it's it's just i think it fails i think yeah. it fails on a lot of levels and it's too bad because i think this was a good chance to try to reestablish yourself 
you know, as like a, well, I'm still here and I can still do Smashing Pumpkin stuff and maybe win back some of the fans that you had lost. But in speaking to people that I know that were also fans of this band, this was not the way to do it. Like, I don't know anyone that loves this album. Scabs. So. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was totally shocked. I don't even fucking remember this happening. And like, I'm a music <laughs> lover like i pay attention to like oh fuck, smashing pumpkins are reuniting with a weird lineup okay like i'll give it a shot i don't i have no memory of this whatsoever i was drinking a lot at the time <laughs> i was in my early 20s so it makes a lot of sense but um no i i don't and i went back and listened to it and i was like glad i didn't waste my time back then so it, yeah no, nothing nothing to write home about was me. it what was it yes and that's funny you say that too because when this album came out this is when i was working in radio in grand rapids and my boss usually was we played a lot of old fashion pumpkins because we played a lot of alternative classic hits and the kind of that format whatever yeah that fits and when this album came out we had the record guy coming in there he's like trying to push it on my my boss to play him more and my boss is like this album sucks <laughs> and just like he gave me like he gave me like he's just like flat out and the guy's like, oh come on you know it's he gives you the hits and what have you, and so there was a there was he a stack the yeah, like that's the selling where he gives you the what hit? What yeah. are you talking about? Are you in our pro in our promo office, we have there you get promo CDs that just you know they but would put them in the some of them would just be given away and be sitting on this pile of like on the desk that sat there until I left the following year in two thousand eight and never moved. <laughs> it was had it's just dust. I'm not kidding. Because nobody wanted it. Like, there was a, a band called Pepper that came out at the time that everybody Pepper's grabbed Pepper. Great. Yeah, Pepper, yeah. yeah. Pepper yeah. grabbed Pepper. That album was never touched. Nobody was like, nah, not bro. Nah, bro. Good. <laughs> I don't know. That's, I, my, that's exactly like my paperweight. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it, it would, <laughs> if we're being unfavorable to this and being harsh on it, it's because, you know, it's, it's not good. And you're comparing it to a whole. A whole decade prior to that, where you were good, yeah, like, like you wrote some of the best songs of all time, yeah. in your heyday, I guess. absolutely. Yeah. And, and then, and yeah. what is this? It feels kind of <laughs> sad, right? Doesn't it? It does. It feels sad when that happens with like a musician of That's that a... caliber that ha- enjoyed that run, you oh, know. For sure. And then it's, they kind of come back, like, yes, we're reuniting. We're co-. It's it's almost like they're grasping it's at like something a... that isn't there. I feel like it's because a lot of the artists, like they, they're not like when you're like heavy touring, when you're like early in a band, there's you're you're getting around like all these great artists and these up and coming things, up well artists that are inspiring you, right? And then he's just getting old and kind of like tapering off as far as like what's inspiring him. And, and what's now like, you're the guy relate. that other people look to. Yeah, you know? you're, you're yeah, not, you're not related, <laughs> and you're with not the original super audience. happy about that. Yeah. Like that is something that is a defining aspect of Billy Corgan is that he has always had a very a very two-sided opinion of fame, like specifically his. And he thinks that he should get a lot more praise and adoration for some of the things that he has accomplished, but pushes against it if it's not given to him in the way he wants it. So it's, you know, and that's true for a lot of, you know, when you hit a certain level, that's true on a lot of levels, I'm sure. Having never written any number one songs or written any ballads or classic albums, I can't speak to how you're supposed to deal with that, but... (laughs) He's so bristly about certain aspects of his fame and criticism that it makes it difficult for you to empathize with him when he puts an album out like this and you yeah. think it sucks. And you want to give him the benefit of a doubt and say, well, all right, you're, but you're back. You're trying, to ref- you're trying to find footing. And then his response is like, well, I never left. I don't yeah. need to find footing. I am Smashing Pumpkins, and if you don't like this, fuck off. Like that's, That was kind of the aspect, the attitude he took towards this. And, you know, it wasn't great. Yeah, <laughs> so, yes, it's... But... Uh, 
in moving forward, because we can get through the second half of this pretty quick, um, I actually feel like as much as a miss uh, that Zeitgeist turned out to be in general, I think what they're doing now is good. So, <clears throat> 2009, he announces... Oh, Billy. So, <laughs> it's he says they're not going to make albums anymore as, like, you know, the the conventionally structured 12 or 13 songs in a row release kind of thing and announces this kind of expanse project called tear garden by kaleidoscope and kaleidoscope is a Y, which fuck you. So it's, it's still ongoing. According to him, it's like a, it's going to span like a few releases and we can lump the two together cause they happen pretty quickly. And, uh, Oceana and monuments to an elegy are 2012 and 2014 respectively. And they are part of this, this uh project that is again not an album per se but a collection of songs that are meant to be viewed as a thing that you collect together that's not an album so fuck off but uh still trying to understand it yeah so so is he because uh there is an unreleased according to him album that he has titled day for night that is not part of this yet but it's supposed to be so keep your ears open for that i guess um (laughs) here's the thing though i actually think these are good albums. Like the last, the most two recent releases, Oceana and more so Monuments to an Elegy. I think these are good records. Like they sound enough like an established Smashing Pumpkins band where you're like, all right, I guess this sounds like Smashing Pumpkins. And Billy Corgan hasn't lost too much on the way of like, you know, in the way of like edge in his voice. And yeah. he can still get up and he can still go down and he can, he uses it as a tool better than he has in a long time. Like it's definitely better than Zeitgeist. I'd argue it's better than Machina and Adora. Like, the band sounds great. And, you know, it then is on you, the listener, to determine whether or not you want to enjoy this new incarnation of the band. Because this is before anybody comes back. So it's the same kind of troop he has, you know, in the in the late 2000s. And it's, it's different enough to be its own thing, but samey enough to be like, oh, yeah, that's not like something. And I think, it, I think it delivers pretty well. I mean, you know. Specifically, Monuments to Analogy, I've listened to three or four times now in like the past month, and I actually really like it. Like, surprisingly, really like it. I know, Roger, you had some favorable things to say about that for yeah, sure. Yeah, I really, this was the one I, I started from, I went back. I didn't go, I didn't start, like, originally I did kind of play around a little bit, so I was like, well, I really haven't listened to any of the new stuff at all. So I didn't know this thing was out, honestly, until I looked on Spotify and I saw it. It's like and the same thing. And Tiberius, yeah. the opening track, it's really good. I really like that song on Moments to an L- or Monuments. Monuments, thank you. Um, Dor- uh, Dorian, great track. That was, my, that was my favorite track on the album. Yeah. And really, Drum and File is pretty cool, too. Drum and Fife. Yeah. I was going to say, that, that was a single, and yeah. that song's pretty good. Yeah. Like, again, surprisingly, like, I... Yeah, I have a lot of good things to say about it. Yeah. And it's short. Like, that is also something that's good. He goes to like, the yeah. all-single format. Right. I think in the way that it's structured with him saying, like, well, we're not releasing albums, but it's a collection of songs. So it's like it's like nine tracks, none of which are more than, like, four minutes long. So they're all just, like, quick, to the point, and they're good. Like, there's, there's no not to too it. much, no muss, no fuss. Like, we're just making, we're making some songs. And yeah. I think it succeeds. I think it's really, really good. And Oceana, too, also caught me off guard. I'm not going to lie. That was the one where I was like, whoa. I mean, what... what? It, it it was kind of a I don't want to say redemption because it sounds really cheesy. No, but yeah, it, it wouldn't be too out, out of left field to call it that. Like it's not it's not unfair to characterize it as that. But it's you know 
Yeah, I guess it's a little cheesy. One but, diamond, still, yeah. but, but, you know, still. One Diamond, One Heart's a good one, too, to check out. No, for sure. I was pleasantly surprised going back and listening. Um, I did not listen to these when they came out. Um, like no, I said, neither did I. I was completely checked out at that point. But in the last couple weeks, I've been, you know, perusing through the Smashing Pumpkins discography. And when I got to this, I was kind of reluctant because I was like, you know, is it going to be terrible? I don't know. I'm burned out at this point. But like it, yeah. I was pleasantly surprised. I've I've only run through them once, once, one and a half, twice. You know. Yeah. So I mean, I don't really have a lot of bad things to say about it. It's just that you know, it's not really like anything that blew my mind. But it's not like something where I'm like, yeah. No. This is sad. Right. You know, like yeah. I don't. Yeah, I agree with you. Sad. You know, like yeah. I don't think any of it's earth shattering or like breaking the mold. But I just. I think for a a dude getting advanced in age and yeah. you know like if you're still a bit right. right if you if you ascribe to the notion that like as a creative entity you're only super creative for like x amount of years I think it's impressive that the dude has been able to make something as good as this is in this latest stage in his career yeah. and right. and still put it and feel good enough to put it under the name of something that was very defined and have it reflect pretty well to that like and he's full bonkers at this point yes right? and that is yeah. that is how we'll kind of wrap up where we're at in the in the in the history of this band so we approach 2018 now and they announce a reunion and it's a big to do uh jimmy chamberlain's back james eha's back darcy ratsky's ba- oh wait uh <laughs> so that goes south uh depending on which stories again we're not a fucking tabloid so we won't go too hard into this but conflicting stories come out of both camps that Darcy was asked to be in it and she said yes and then Billy then said no or Darcy was asked to be in it and she said I'm not sure and then got mad and then they went the other way so there's a whole lot of nonsense about all this there's been some public bickering there's been significant public bickering and we're not going to delve too far into that but just to say in the in the time between (laughs) the Smashing Pumpkins breaking up and now Billy Corgan has become a very vocal weirdo (laughs) Um, uh, he has lots of opinions on a lot of things and whether or not we agree with them is secondary to the point that he has them and is not afraid to share them and goes on outlets like i don't know infowars (laughs) we'll use as an example and if you don't know what infowars is i'm not going to be one to tell you but Let's just say it's mostly full-on bonkers, and Billy Corgan sounds full-on bonkers on there. He has a lot of what I would call conspiracy theories. He is a very big conspiracy Which, theorist. whether or not you believe some conspiracies are true, you know, most people listening probably don't. So just, he's got a lot of conspiracies. That's like ha- half of the fun listening. I know. Yeah, the if, list, if that's your def- definition of fun. <laughs> He definitely just believes in lizard people. He was on Joe, the Joe Rogan podcast, and that was actually a pretty good interview. Uh, nothing but Joe that, Rogan does is good. I hate Joe Rogan. It's I'll, I'll take I'll take that hard stance. <laughs> Fucking at me, weirdos. <laughs> I don't care. But they were talking about wrestling, which I, I know Billy Corgan's a big fan oh, of. Yeah, I wasn't even going to bring it up. But Sorry, it's okay. But the, in terms of the musical aspect and everything, Joe Rogan just seemed a little out of it. But anyways, the, he some of the stuff he believes in, he saw a face melting and, and stuff like some of the stuff right, Billy right. said and. And this is, but how he got was into it, music was a reptile was, face that was melted. Yeah. That's the real question. Yeah, it, yeah, he's seen a change in people. He can't really say specifically what, but he's seen people change forms. They, they blink their eyes. He, 
is fucking insane. He is not living in reality. I'm just going to say, I don't care. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I'm not going to be politically correct. He's nuts. Yeah. He's, he's, he's not at me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Come at me. I, he, he's, he's bonkers. If you, if you think you're seeing people fucking shape shifting, get out of my life. Get away from me, Billy Corrigan. You didn't see no shape shifter. Yeah, Zoltan's probably real or something. We're, again, <laughs> Zartan, sorry, none Zartan. of this is particularly germane to the conversation, just that we got it out there. But it is germane in the sense that coming to the end of the conversation of the band and an output, um, the future of which is kind of established right now is the three members minus Darcy going forward as a band. Like They haven't said they're recording specifically, but it's alluded to. They have announced a big old reunion tour, uh, the Shiny and Oh So Bright tour, uh, that starts in July. Uh, we are a Detroit-based show, so the Detroit show is August 5th, if anyone's interested in going. Uh, you should be interested for his sake, because ticket sales have been bad. So that is something that <laughs> they are they have I not been wondering. great. Um, they're not, they've picked up a little bit, but initially they were very slow. Like I think the... The popular opinion was that a reunion tour would sell out everywhere, and I think it hurt when all of this stuff blew up at the announcement with him yeah. and the bassist because it reflected badly on the people that wanted the whole package. Right. You know, because whether I had said it earlier in the show, like I know it's an unpopular opinion, but Billy Corgan is the Smashing Pumpkins. Right. Well, to many people, that is not true. So the Smashing Pumpkins are Billy, Jimmy, Darcy, James. So I respect that, and I would agree in many in many aspects. So to not get all of that is definitely putting people off. How are, not that this is, well, it is a little bit relevant. How are ticket prices? Have you looked at prices? Are they outrageous or are they fair? I think they were about what you'd expect for a reunion show in 2018. So outrageous. Yeah. Ish. But um, uh, National Live Music Week or whatever is happening next yeah. week. And I think they're going to be one of the bands where tickets are going down to like 20 bucks for a whole bunch of seats. What? I'm just yeah. yeah. So I mean, with that in mind, maybe. But I mean, I you know the reason I ask is because yeah, if I'm somebody who wants to like relive some '90s nostalgia, like first of all, you better be playing your hits. Oh, don't worry, they're giving it to you. He has also in, in the in the the aftermath of all this blowing up and the ticket sales being kind of slow, they re- he released what would like be like this is the songs we're gonna play from, and they're every fucking song you'd know or want to okay. hear. So like they don't play anything past Machina. So it's nothing new. Like, it's nothing from Zeitgeist or Oceania. Nothing from the non-Pumpkins Pumpkins. The, the non Which makes pumpkins. sense. Right, right. And that's, he's, this is a nostalgia show. Make no mistakes. Okay. Like, this isn't like, hey, maybe we'll slip in a couple of new songs. Like, no, fuck that. You're going to go. You're going to see Melancholy shit. You're going to see Siamese Dream shit. Yeah. That's what they know people want, and that's what he's giving them. So... In yeah. fairness to him, I mean, hey, right call, but yeah, exactly. Hey, no, know. no Cantonese dream, <laughs> right? I would be, I would be like, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess I would be reluctant if I was a, like a big Smashing Pumpkins fan to, yeah. to buy the ticket if if it weren't, you know, if it's not the four. Yeah. That is the I reason. The reason I brought up that we bothered to bring up and talk about his craziness is because at the end of all of this, we've talked about all this, the future of the band and the past. In trying to determine for me personally whether or not I still loved this band or would consider them a band I love, I have to accept that the creative driving force of this band is not a person I particularly respect or agree with, like on a personal level. And then the conversation is, you know, between how you rationalize those things. Like, can you separate the art from the artist? I have a lot of problems with this in a lot of areas, specifically with things like Me Too and all this shit happening mm. in the past few years where a lot of people that I have respected as creators all suck. So, 
this is much less like Billy Corgan is mostly privately a bully at worst, mm-hmm. you know, like an egomaniac control freak. Yeah, as far so as we know, yeah. he's probably, I mean, I'm sure he said some very damaging things to people he loves in his life and maybe people he doesn't, but you know, reflecting on everything, I think, and we'll just go ahead and we'll call this the rap. I think putting it all into perspective, I feel like maybe this band has become slightly underrated, like from what, from what the output was in such a small period of time, like, you know, again, using that the, the majority of their hits and the popularity of the band is like eight years. Uh, I think it's impressive that they were able to do it, A, and B, make distinct progression and improvement in their sound from album to album, year to year, performance to performance. Like, they grew as a band until the band could no longer grow in that form at that point. And I think that's incredibly impressive. And I think the songs speak for themselves, like the what is classic of this band. And I think that they are being diminished slightly by Billy Corgan damaging them by sometimes not owning up to his involvement in things and maybe not giving credit where credit's due. But I still think that the music, speaking entirely on its own, is being pushed a little further away from what was relevant and what was good. And I think that might be unfair. Only to the music, not to Billy Corgan. So the Smashing Pumpkins entity band, slightly underrated. I'll agree with that. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, wholesale, just agree with everything I said. No, I put, really put a spin on it. With that. Well, just because the, the fact is that, I mean, I don't really like that guy either from at least the interviews that I've seen. But, I mean, yeah. that doesn't diminish the fact that those some of those songs, some of those records are timeless. Like, they really did, like, influence the whole next generation. I mean, there's a lot of artists that are out now that can't say, like, if this record didn't come out, like I wouldn't play this way or like the, they definitely put their own stamp on music and, and you can't deny that regardless of what he, comes out of his mouth, you know? Yeah. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. I cannot deny that the smashing pumpkins have had an, a significant impact on music throughout the years. And even even I don't know if I would call it significant, but even they did have some sort of impact on me personally. Um but that being said, I still just think like going back and listening to it, there's there's a lot of hits and there's a lot of great stuff there, but there's more misses for me. And yeah. I I agree with what you're saying that some of the bands like like legacy, if you will, is being diminished by like the public weirdness of Billy Corgan. Um but I think that, for me, would make them sliding a little bit more towards fairly rated. Not okay. because I think – I think that in this case you should separate, like, the creator from the creations, you know? Yeah. Like, you don't have to have, like – I don't need to know that every musician that I'm listening to is, like, the best guy ever. Like, as long as they're not, like, a murderer or rapist. Like, I can reconcile most of it, but – I just, I don't know. I don't, I think it's par- probably unfair the reason why they're sliding under the radar nowadays. But for me, it's like when I listen to people talk about the Smashing Pumpkins, they talk about them with such like a high, you know, high praise that I, I have always felt that they were a little bit lack, lacking in that department for me. No, that's um, fair. So I think they have a lot of, a lot more misses than they do hits for me. But, oh, you know, yeah, definitely impactful. Can't deny that. I can see where no 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 because I was thinking about heavy as the head. (laughs) Billy Corgan, I understand why he's frustrated though because they're not 
romanticized per se like Nirvana or some of those bands. No, that that's fair. Decided. They are not. Yeah, yeah. and they're not viewed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, even like as much as Stone Temple Pilots, and I put them in that kind of same category of like popular music at the time. Some type of pilots got more pop, but I think it's also because of the geographical location. Well, they deserved it. Well, they deserved it. Hey, I, you know me. I love number four. We've talked about this before. Um, definitely a future topic. Yeah, definitely a future topic. <laughs> but I also think it's a Midwestern thing, unfortunately, because I feel like bands in the Midwest, like Chicago and, and Detroit, to, to a certain extent, have this aesthetic that doesn't sometimes go to the West and East Coast, and I think that that's what's happened to this band. Are you and blaming the coastal elite for not loving this band? <laughs> no, you know what? I am a little bit, quite frankly, right. because I, I just think, wanted to make sure I was understanding. No, because I mean they, they've been on the Simpsons, which is you know no, it's that's huge. fair. We didn't even that talk is, about yeah. some of yeah. the other hallmarks of their fame. But yeah, appearing on the Simpsons is no joke. Yeah, <laughs> like, and he's he's done himself being involved in pop culture because of his ego and his in like in terms of how his personality is. So I think. There, I can see Dave's point about being underrated, but at the same time, I'm not going to stick to my fairly rated category because they have had some really big. I mean, no band's been on. No, not every band's been on the Simpsons. I mean, Green Day is, but whatever. It's the thing is, is that that's kind of a that's kind of culturally that's huge. Yeah. But yeah. still, I think when it comes down to it, I think it's also I think it's also a Chicago thing because everybody from Chicago sometimes has this. We're yeah, oh yeah, you know, we're Chicago and everybody's like, nah, whatever. I mean, you know, it's cool. You know, it's in that but yeah. I feel like that suffers that kind of um that kind of bigness to him, you know, like it's that's where I can see the frustration of Billy Corgan is that I think that even now doing these tours and, and or kind of like doing these PR things, even there's always that room all Billy Corgan has a certain urban legend hint to him too, like him and Marilyn Manson, there's always that rumor about him and Billy, uh, Marilyn Manson at an award show or something, like, screwing around he or whatever. He feuded with a lot of people. And yeah. has other dalliances and ties to other people. Yes. So, you so know, we didn't talk about much of that because it's not germane to what we were talking about. Yeah. But yeah. And then, you know, completing the circle of, you know, comparatively speaking, how he is to one so Morrissey, the ego has carried him that far. But as a band, as a whole, it is, to my belief, that is fairly rated but i can see but it, i definitely it's almost close to underrated because of what james and darcy and um even jamie chamberlain do not get enough credit they don't get enough credit as no, a whole, at least in my opinion not. so not for the not for that band they yeah. do uh, separately but right. maybe maybe not for that um all right i think that leaves us at where we started <laughs> like most of us had the similar yeah. opinion and that's okay because that's that's why we is, talk about it though is this the first time we've ever had an, an episode with an over and under an affair I feel like it is. Yes, it maybe you are correct. You be. are correct. Well, it only took us like fucking twenty something episodes. Yeah, but no problem. Hey, we did it. We hit every one of them. Good job. We are our name. <laughs> um, speaking of our name, why don't you check it and us out? Uh, like that transition. I'm gonna pop, pat myself on that the back for that. That was pretty. It was bad. It was bad, and then I talked good. about it, and that made me feel worse. Oh, but. Uh, hit us up on all the social media bullshit on Facebook, uh, on Twitter at Over Under Fair. Email us at gmail or overunderfairpod at gmail dot com. Uh, anybody want to throw out individual Twitter handles? I don't do anything from non show page, so if you have anything you want to plug personally, please take the time to do that. Cricket. Oh, I'm not at underscore lace. If you want to fight me about Billy Corgan being weird, <laughs> but you're gonna lose. So and uh, and then check us out on Podbean and Apple Podcast and the SRD uh, website proper, SportsRadioDetroit.com, where you can find the rest of our shows. I referenced a couple of them while we were talking, but uh, check us out on any of those places to find the backlog. We've got quite a few. 
we have like i said the last episode we're not recording as frequently but we will still be recording so the episodes might be a little bit longer but i like to think that we're giving you our best by doing it this way so we don't want to rush it and we don't want to make something that we aren't proud of so you can bear with us through that we're happy to keep doing it but you know i'm glad we did this and you know with the them coming back around and being kind of in the news again it was cool to get a chance to talk about them it was nice to be back it was good to have you later thank you thank you jeremy for joining us Thank you, producer Roger, as always. You can find me at Rogcast81 on Twitter. There it is. And uh, speaking for everybody and for Over Under Fair, I am Dave, and thank you so much. We'll see you later.